0: 1208 Jeff Wagner WTMJ. All right, we are putting up the tent. We've got the big top. Lots of stuff going on today. Some heated conversations. I was just sitting here taking this in. Grew, you were behind the the window there. Eric Bilstat and Steve Scafidi's producer Jordan, kind of going at it over the the Yelich decision. What are Aren't... you
1: talking about? Going at it.
0: Heated conversation. Well, oh yes, exactly. Heated. You feel very strongly oh that he, You feel very strongly that Yelich needed the day off, and they did the right thing. I did. <laughs> you told me. You told me. Well, if you, Eric, you matter. You just said. Well, if you don't think people should have a day off, you try working the next eight days in a row. Isn't that a quote that, that just came that out of your is mouth? What I said.
1: You said they're baseball players; they should yep. be able to play every day. And I, I said they're humans. They're not. This isn't Madden football. That's All right. So and So I suggested you
0: should work the next eight days in a row. Well, exactly. Exactly. You do if you don't need it. Day off. All right. Poor poor Christian Yelich. We'll talk about that later on in the program. I was actually at the game, but you've got you've got Eric Bilstad out there saying we need to give these baseball players a day off. All right, we will discuss that later on in the later on in the program. I was there last night. It was actually it was a very good game. Interestingly enough, I guess I hadn't realized this. Assuming that that the Cubs win the division um, and have the best record in the National League, if the Brewers come out of the wild card playoff, they would play the Cubs. That's how it works. And there's a big story in the Chicago Tribune today. It's interesting. The sports writers are saying the Cubs don't want anything to do with the Brewers. (laughs) It's it's that the Brewers are a team that that plays them hard and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It was actually a quite good game, quite game. And we will talk about the Yelich controversy a little bit later on in the program. As we do for the first couple segments of the program every day, we're up on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can participate via that way as well. We've, I think, finally figured out the exact position we want to put the camera to, capture the best view of what goes on in the studio. So check that out, and I know lots and lots of you do. Also, later on in the program, the Nike ad involving Colin Kaepernick. It's actually two minutes long, and I think they're playing the whole two-minute ad tonight when Thursday night football comes on the air on NBC. Typically, though, you're probably going to only going to see the one-minute version. I've got the two-minute version of the Colin Kaepernick ad. We are going to talk about whether or not... This was a good choice for Nike, and uh, we'll be doing that sometime later on the program, either the one or two o'clock hour. But if you want the whole two-minute ad, um, you can simply text me the word Nike, N I K E, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and I will send it to you. All right, let us get started with the big story that everyone is talking about: the opinion piece that ran in the New York Times yesterday, anonymously. Ripping on President Trump. Now, I, I sent out a tweet with a link to this. If if you haven't seen this before, I, I think um, you know one of the interesting things is uh, you've always heard the saying: just because you're paranoid, doesn't mean that they're they're not out to get you. And I, I think this piece makes very very clear that people are in fact out to get President Trump. I want to just just take a couple minutes. It's really not that long. I know some people have talked about it, but I, I want to share with you what this is, and then we're going to use that as a springboard for our discussion, including the response from the White House. But but this is this is the piece, if you haven't heard it, that's getting all this attention. The headline is, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. I work for the president, but like-minded colleagues and I have vowed to thwart Parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. Again, this is an anonymous piece. President Trump is facing a test to his presidency unlike any faced by a modern American leader. It's not just that the special counsel looms large or that the country is bitterly divided over Mr. Trump's leadership or even that his party might well lose the House to an opposition hell-bent on his downfall. The dilemma, which he does not fully grasp, is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I am one of them. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think that many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. But we believe our first duty is to this country. And the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. That is why so many Trump appointees have vowed to do what we can to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he is out of office. The root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. The piece continues. Although he was elected as a Republican, the President shows little affinity for ideas long espoused by conservatives. Free minds, free markets, free people. At best, he has invoked these ideals in scripted settings. At worst, he has attacked them outright. In addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. Don't get me wrong. There are bright spots that the near-ceaseless negative coverage of the administration fails to capture. Effective deregulation, historic tax reform, a more robust military, and more. But these successes have come not because of the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. From the White House to executive branch departments and agencies, senior, senior officials will privately admit their daily disbelief at the commander in chief's comments and actions. Most are working to insulate their operations from his whims. Meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants, and his impulsiveness results in half baked, ill informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. There's literally no telling whether. Whether he might change his mind from one minute to the next, a top official complained to me recently, exasperated by an Oval Office meeting at which the president flip flopped on a major policy decision he had made only a week earlier. The erratic behavior would be more concerning if it weren't for unsung heroes in and around the White House. Some of his aides have been cast as villains by the media, but in private they have gone to great lengths to keep bad decisions contained to the West Wing though they are clearly not always successful. It may be cold comfort in this chaotic era, but Americans should know that there are adults in the room. We fully recognizing what is happening and we are trying to do what's right, even when Donald Trump won't. The result is a two-track presidency. Take foreign policy. In public and in private, President Trump shows a preference for autocrats and dictators such as President Vladimir Putin of Russia and North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un. He displays little genuine appreciation for the ties that bind us to allied, like-minded nations. Astute observers have noted, though, that the rest of the administration is operating on a number, tra- a number of track, another track, one where countries like Russia are called out for meddling and punished accordingly, where allies around the world are engaged as peers rather than ridiculed as rivals. Then it goes on. Um, let's see. This isn't the work of a so-called deep state. It's the work of the steady state. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or other it's over. The biggest concern is not what Mr. Trump has done to the presidency, but what we as a nation have allowed him to do. We have sunk low with him and allowed our discourse to be stripped of civility. Senator John McCain put it best in his farewell letter. All Americans should heed his words and break free of the tribalism trap with the high aim of uniting through our shared values and love of this great nation. We may no longer have Senator McCain, but we will always have his example, a lodestar for restoring honor to public life and our national dialogue. Let me stop there. That's, if you, if you read about this, this 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 anonymous source is being referred to as Lodestar because of that. Mr. Trump may fear such honorable men, but we should revere them. There is a quiet resistance within his administration of people choosing to put country first, but the real difference will be made by everyday citizens rising above politics, reaching across the aisle, and resolving to shed the labels in favor of a single one, Americans. And they'll say the writer is a senior official in the Trump administration. Most speculation is it's, it's probably nobody that ever anybody ever heard of. But here you have this this deep throat, this lodestar writing this explosive piece in the New York Times, hiding under the cloak of anonymity, saying, essentially, we are working inside the government to stop Donald Trump from doing what he says he wants to do. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I am sure. I, I don't think this piece. I don't. I don't think this plows any new ground. This is essentially the same sort of thing that has been coming out of. I mean, the White House for the last two years, kind of like the chaos theory, that sort of stuff. And, and that's fine. But here is what I would like to discuss with you: Is it responsible? For somebody who works in this administration, and, and I would say almost any, whether it's the Trump administration or the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Clinton administration or the Reagan administration or the Johnson administration, I don't care. The Carter administration, the Nixon administration, is it responsible for somebody who is working for the president of the United States to effectively say, we are out here trying to undermine what it is that he is trying to do. 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Look, I understand there's a lot of issues with President Trump, and I'm sure there's a lot of truth in this piece. But I will tell you something. I think it is incredibly irresponsible, reckless, and dangerous if there are, in fact, people who are in the administration who have decided, We know better than the president. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to either slow roll his policies or we're going to work to actively undermine what it is trying to do, what he is trying to do. If that is the case and you do not feel that you can give loyalty to the person who is your boss, what you should do is resign. That is the honorable, at least in my opinion, thing to do. And for everybody who rolls their eyes when President Trump talks about this deep state, these embedded bureaucrats who are out to undermine him, this is the deep state. 414-799-1620. We are back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. And again, we are live streaming. It's Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Check it out. Back with your calls in just a moment. 1220 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Kyle Antosa writes, Subverting the actions of a political figure without making yourself known is both cowardly and treasonous. I'm not throwing the treason word around, but I do think it is cowardly. Cowardly. Stop hiding behind an anonymous um, op-ed and have the courage to openly debate the issues you brought forth with others. The writer of this article doesn't have to defend their beliefs or their accusations. 414-799-1620, Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, you know, I believe Donald Trump is the Jesse Ventura of the, of the White <laughs> House. But, but, but besides that, the fact is you have to respect the office of the presidency. You have to understand that you, you may not respect the president, but the fact is you're there in order to help him navigate through those particular issues that need to be done to protect this nation. And when you do stuff like this, you undermine the presidents, not only the presidency, but this nation. Just, just imagine what mm-hmm. leaders from other countries are, 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 are gleaming from this. Mm-hmm. This is something you may write after uh, President Trump leaves office. I'm right. sure there'll be a lot of books coming out and things of that sort. But the fact is, to do this while he's in office, I think it, 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 I, it's a horrible precedent.
0: Well, I, I see. I agree, Vincent, and, and I. I mean, I do agree with the term cowardly. Look, I mean, here, here's the deal. If, if you, you work for the president. I think you owe a loyalty to the president. Now, if you can't live with the management style, and I understand that. If you disagree with decisions that are made, I get it. I understand that. But then what you should do is the honest and principled thing, and you should, you resign. Alright, you say, I, I can't work in these situations, and then if you want to go public with your concerns, well, go public with your concerns. But the fact that you are taking money and working and not showing a loyalty to the person who theoretically appointed you, I think that says a lot about somebody's character. And it does play in, I don't know if there's this deep state or not, but clearly this piece demonstrates that there are people that are working in the White House, supposedly loyal to President Trump, who are actively trying to undermine his agenda. And that's just not right. That's
2: right. And, and we all know from the beginning that uh, 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 President Trump was not ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, he ne- uh, he needed to put people around him in order to kind of ne- again uh, navigate him through through this, these particular things. But the fact is, you don't come out with this kind of our bad piece and basically uh, 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 tear down the, in, tear down the country, tear down the presidency. I, I well,
0: especially that. not anonymous. Know, and thanks yeah. to call. I mean, look, I, look, everybody. Here's what happens in government, and and it happens in the private sector, too. You know, your boss leaves, you get a new boss. Okay, well, I think people, and this happens a lot of times in the government. All right, the Obama administration leaves, the Trump administration comes in. The Clinton administration leaves, the Bush administration comes in. You have different policies. You have different people that are making these decisions. If you are, if you're somebody in that agency, working for the government, it seems to me you've got two choices. Number one is you can give your loyalty to the new administration. You can do your job. You can keep your head down maybe and and hope that, okay, four years from now or eight years from now, there'll be a change. Or if you can't demonstrate loyalty, if you can't carry out your job, then what you do is you leave. That's Those are the two principal decisions. But you don't sit there and say, well, I'm really disturbed about this. And so what we're doing is we're trying to actively undermine what is going on. And I guess that's the issue I have. I, I do think it, it's cowardly. Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on WTMJ.
3: Um, obviously, the op-ed writer is, uh, for lack of another word, a whistleblower. Uh, who should he have gone to and 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 told this to? Well,
0: he should have if if, if he felt that he could not ethically, morally, in good conscience, work for the Trump administration. He should have resigned, um, as opposed to trying to undermine his boss. And then, if he then afterwards, if he wants to come out and identify himself and and say, "Hey, this is who I was. I was some junior undersecretary of whatever." And then, if he wants to write his opinion piece, that that's fine, like Omarosa or, or whoever. It's staying. Well, we it's no, staying.
3: We don't know. We don't know who he who or he or she is. So right. I think it's interesting that. Apparently, what the credibility of the op-ed is based on the level of well, where this person was in the Trump administration. Well, well, what does that have to do with whether it's well, honest or true or not? Well,
0: but, well, it has. I mean, who it is, obviously, if it's the vice president that's writing the piece, is different than whether it's some junior undersecretary of something, because that does affect, I think, you know, the, the credibility. But but regardless, the principal thing. Well, because if you're the vice president, you you're sitting in and having a role in much larger decisions than you are if you're some junior undersecretary. I mean, Dan, that's not even worth arguing about. I don't think. But I mean, again, the the principal thing to do. Again, I look. I understand that. I, I I get it. If you're working for the government, for example, and there's a change of administrations, and you come in and you say, "Look, this is this is not this is not what I signed up for," or I don't respect the person who's in this particular role. I, I've been at the State Department for years. I don't respect who's there. I get it. I, I, I That is fine. But it seems to me you have two things then. You either have to, if you're going to continue to take the paycheck, you've got to give your loyalty to the person that you are working for and not actively work to undermine them. Or if you don't think you can do it, resign. That, that's okay. You know, resign, and then you can go public or whatever. But to work behind the scenes and try to throw shade and undermine the people that you are supposed to be loyal to, that's what I think is is cowardly. And I I agree with that word. And look, and I, I don't doubt that I'm the guy that talks about how there's this chaos that is in the White House. I'm the guy that says repeatedly, I wouldn't work in that chaos. If I was Jeff Sessions, I would have quit a long time ago. But it is the fact of the matter that this is a cowardly way to go about it. It's 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237 Jeff Wagner WTMJ Packers fans get ready for your chance to follow the Packers to Lambeau Field for this week's game against the Chicago Bears every day on Wisconsin's Morning News. Gene Miller gives you a chance at a VIP experience at this week's Packers game. Listen during the seven o'clock hour for your chance to follow the Packers to Lambeau Field this Sunday. It is presented by our friends at West Bend the Silver Lining. Um just one more thought on what we discussed earlier because I got a couple of people texting me saying, Well, I don't think you own any loyalty to the boss i If you don't like what the boss is doing, I think you should go out and actively undermine this. well, no, that's not the way i I see it um it's just not not at all i mean here here, here now obviously, if your boss is asking you to do something illegal well that that's That's a different sort of thing. But even then, I think that's what you do. I think you say, I can't do anything illegal. I'm I'm going to resign. No, I think the cowardly thing to do, and this they're not talking about this anonymous leaker isn't talking about doing stuff illegal. It's we disagree with these policy decisions. We think President Trump is erratic. You know, we think he does this knee-jerk stuff. We don't think it's in the best interest of the country. Okay, you weren't elected to make that decision. And this idea that, gee, I know better... What's in the best interest of this country than the person who was elected as the leader? That, I think, is dangerous. I think it is the epitome of arrogance. And, again, we're not talking about somebody who's saying, well, I was asked to do something illegal. You're talking about somebody who just, I don't like this policy, or, or he's erratic. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't like this erratic stuff. And we don't like the way he's dealing with Russia, or we don't like the way he's dealing with this trade stuff. I understand all that. I, I get it. But if you don't feel that you can carry out the policies of the person who was elected to be in that office or who's been hired to be in that office, well, I think you've got two things to do. Number one, you, you, you do what you're told, or you, you say, okay, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be part of it, and you step down. But I think it's very, very dangerous if you have individual bureaucrats or appointees or whatever saying, I know better than my bosses. I know better than the people who are put in charge and be responsible for making these decisions. So I'm just going to, I'm going to do this on, on my own, or we're going to do this on our own. No, I don't think that's responsible. I think you resign, I think. And then you, you feel free. If you want to throw bricks from outside, that's fine, but you don't work to actively undermine the people that are in fact, put in charge period. All right. was at the Cubs game, Cubs brewers game last night. Now, first of all, let me give you a couple observations. I understand that I have picked on Cubs fans in the past and I my my general line has been individually Cubs fans might be great collectively eh. um I I will say last night I think it was about 50-50 I was sitting in the lower bowl but I, I I mean it was about 50-50 and as the Brewers were rallying uh there there were a lot of Brewers fans there too um but last night at least around where I was I have no complaints about the Cubs fans at all. Matter of fact, we were sitting next to four, six, eight Cubs fans. They were very, very nice. Matter of fact, they were like applauding the comeback. They, you know, one of the ladies said to me, boy, he, that, the home run that Granderson hit, they, they really liked it. It, it, was, it. it was good. So at least for last night where I was sitting, no complaints about the Cub fans at all. It was a very, very good game. Brewers ended up losing six to four. They fell behind early, they had a really bad fourth inning where they kind of looked like a bad high school baseball team. Sorry, that's kind of what they looked like, gave up a couple runs that they shouldn't have given up, and, and they were behind five to one and then it was either six to one or six to two. I, I forget. But but it had the look of one of those games where it was going to get completely out of control, and it didn't. I mean, the the Brewers bounced back. It was 6-4 to going into the bottom of the ninth inning. They got the first two guys on and ultimately weren't able to win. But I will tell you, there were a lot of Cubs fans that were very, very tense. And walking out of Miller Park last night, I stayed to the end of the game, the the reaction among the Cubs fans seemed to be more like relief, like, boy, we we got one of these games. And I will tell you, I I read the Chicago Tribune every day, that the theme of, of their sports writers is, we don't want to play the Brewers in the playoffs if it comes to that. And that's what would happen if the Cubs finish with the best record of the National League. They automatically play who comes out of the wild card. So theoretically, it could very easily be Cubs-Brewers again. But the controversy of the game was was this, and and I want to kind of get your reaction to it. Uh, Christian Jelic is, of course, the all-star outfielder for the Brewers. As I was driving home after work yesterday, I was listening to one of the baseball channels on, on satellite radio, and they, they were talking about how Yelich is one of the top two or three candidates for the most valuable player in the National League. And, and that's, that's how he is starting to be recognized nationally. Second half of the season, I think he's probably been the, the best player in the National League as an all-round player. All right, yesterday was a very important game for the Brewers. Going into last night's game, they were three games behind the Cubs. If they were to have won last night, they would have been two games behind. They didn't. So now they're four games behind with, you know, 20 some games to play. Can they overhaul the Cubs? Maybe much more likely if they had won last night than, than not. All right. Christian Jelic has been by far and away the Brewers hottest player. He had played 50 some games in a row. They made the decision yesterday that they were going to rest him. And the idea is we're not going to play him. They said, um, you know, the start, the Cubs starting pitcher is a left-hander. He hits lefty, he's, that's left-handers. Typically, left-handers don't do as well against left-handed pitchers, although Yelich is not having this problem this year. They said the Cubs pitcher, um, Yelich had been one for nine against him. So we will sit him down. The idea being we're going to give him last night off. Today is an off day. So you have two off days going into the weekend. Now, of course, If you wanted to give him an off day, you could have played him last night, sat him down today, and then given him like Friday off. You play, and the question becomes, do you play your best player in a game that really, really, I mean, they all matter, but I mean, when you're playing the Chicago Cubs, the team you're chasing, this matters more than others. They used him in the ninth inning. He came in. He got a base hit. He was on base. 414-799-1620 four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I've been told by one of my colleagues, well these guys are human. They they need rest and there's no question he played in fifty some games in a row, although there have been off days sprinkled in. Did they make a mistake in not playing Yelich, in not starting him yesterday? Did they give them not give themselves perhaps the best chance to win the game? Nobody I think would disagree with giving the guy a day off, although there's some players We didn't want days off. Nobody would disagree with him giving him a day off. Do you give him a day off in perhaps one of the most significant games of the year? 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Would it have made a difference? Don't know, but you do have to think that their chances, their chances of winning have to be better if you're playing with your best player. Did they screw up? 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody would complain about giving Christian Yelich a day off. The question is, do you pick the game that all games are important, but it's the last game, it's a chance to sweep the Chicago Cubs, why do you pick that game as opposed to, uh, let's say, Friday night against the San Francisco Giants? All right, our text line is exploding. The Brewers continue to play undisciplined baseball, continue to act like Keystone Cops, booting around ball around the infield. The team just cannot win the big game while we were being managed by incompetence. I don't agree with any of that, although the fourth inning was tough. Would we sit Rodgers in the most important game of the season? I doubt it. Uh-huh. All right. Let's see. Love counsel, but he blew it last night. That's from JP in Jefferson. Uh, Mitch says, we all get it's a pennant race and our best players out there. But with that in mind, if council thinks his horse needs two days off for preventive maintenance so he can be at full strength for the pennant drive, I've got to at least consider this um dave and aaron don't rest him especially knowing we have a day off and then the giants worst case scenario give him the option four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. and i don't think there was an injury i think it was just hey you played 50 some days in a row 50 some games in a row Wanna i want to give you some off time and i don't think anybody disagrees with that the question would be do you do it against the chicago cubs four one four let's start with tom and greenfield tom you're first hello
3: yeah um uh- I, I don't think he should have. I mean, he's getting paid the big money, Jeff, just like you get paid the big money to show up every day.
0: Yeah. When we talk about big money, my big money is different than, than Christian uh, no, Yelich's big money. Is, yeah.
3: But the thing is that he's been the hottest player on that yep. team in the, in the last two weeks. Why not at least play him at least a couple bats, a couple chances to get a couple bats in, a uh, couple uh, mm-hmm. wings in yesterday in the game, and then take him on out? and then let them have the rest uh, uh, for the next yeah. day yeah. or two or whatever it is. Because I think I think they could have won the game yesterday, actually. Yeah. And I think, I think Craig Consul's, uh sometimes is thinking uh, with that and some of the other players on that team is a little...
0: Well, I mean, sometimes there is a tendency that baseball players, baseball people have to overmanage. And again, I, I it's not an issue of do you give a player a day off occasion. There were players like, like remember Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder never wanted to come off. You'd get into a fight with Prince Fielder if you took him off the field. And I think Yelich is kind of that kind of guy as well. I don't get the sense that this was something he didn't go and say, boss, I, I really need to take the day off. They're, they're trying to manage him. And I understand it. I will say this. A lot of us were surprised that if you're going to give him a day off, it was arguably the most important game of the season thus far, a chance to get within two games of the Chicago Cubs. 414 Charlie in Oshkosh. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I do not think he should have had a day off yesterday. Uh, there might be some nagging injuries or something, but he's young. He's very hot. They're playing the Cubs. They have an off day today. They don't play tomorrow afternoon. They play tomorrow night. No travel involved. Yeah. Uh, I can name a ton of things. And I, I really like counsel, but, wow, there are some questionable – and pitching changes, we can – that's a whole other right. ballgame. But, but, but just on
0: Yelich, uh, shocked, you would have you yes. played it. Yeah, I would – I mean, I, I heard it. I was, driving to the, I was driving to the game after work, went home, changed my clothes, picked up my buddy Evan, and we were driving to the game. And, and I was actually listening to um, Greg Matzik, uh on Sports Central. And Greg said, hey, this is – Yelich is out of the lineup. And I immediately thought, is he injured or something like that? And there, there's no injury. I mean, it's, it's just – it's well. He he played a lot of games in a row, and he was there. And I understand that. I mean, I, I get the I get the day off type of thing. It does strike me as a peculiar day to decide that that's the day that you're going to give your best player, your hottest player, a, a day off. A game that again, if you're trying to overhaul the Chicago Cubs, you you want to have all hands on deck, and you would think that you would want. All your best players in the lineup. Is it going to make any difference in the big picture? Uh, I I don't know. I, I I don't know. But thought it was kind of an interesting decision, and a lot of the fans in the stands thought that as well. Uh, Jim in New Berlin. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, yeah. I hear the, the, the side of uh, playing him or mm-hmm. you
3: know, and or he's hot. On the other hand, you've got all the other guys. They're all very well paid professional people, and they should be able to fill in. Yeah, it'd be interchangeable. That's just my view of it.
0: Well, I mean, I, right. I mean, next man up. Failed, you know? Yeah, no. They, they all are, but I mean, Yelich is. I, I think if the Brewers, I think if the Brewers make the playoffs and Christian Yelich continues to play as he has. I think he's going to win the MVP award. I, I, I think. It, I, let me say that again. I think he deserves to win the MVP award because I, I don't know that there's been somebody more critical to their team than than Yelich. And 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 look, part of it I me mean, was selfish. I I love watching the guy play. I I do. And he did pinch hit in the ninth inning. But I, I mean, I'm trying to think. Okay, if we assume that based on the record, the Chicago Cubs are the best team in the National League, and I think that's a fair assumption you are trying to catch them it is a very very significant game i would want all my best players around for that game especially after you've won the last two and especially as hot as yellich has been if i'm going to rest him i would rest him okay i would rest him friday night against the san francisco giants who are going absolutely you know, absolutely nowhere. I mean, I guess that's how I would just kind of look at it. Now, great counsel gets paid to make these decisions. Here we go. Hank, here's their text. Hank Aaron would never take a day off in his uh, youth. Well, okay, but I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Yell. I don't think Yelich asked. Um, I don't think Yelich asked it to be taken out. Um, let's see. Well, in any event, bottom line is they did it. They ended up losing the game. I'm not suggesting they would have not lost the game otherwise. But it it is it is that's one of the great things about baseball. Everybody, everybody wants to be the manager, and everybody says, "Why didn't you pitch Josh Hader?" And why do you keep bringing in Dan Jennings? And I, I hear the whole thing. Why do you? I'm the guy saying, "Why do you keep playing Jonathan Scope?" You know, I, I'm that's I'm that guy in the stands. That is the great thing about baseball. Every game is different. You make all these decisions. We all think we know more than the manager. I just think yesterday, if Yelich could have played. I would have played him. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, one hour from now, we're, we're going to be discussing the continuing controversy involving the decision by Nike to feature Colin Kaepernick in th- this, this ad campaign. He's the face of their ad campaign. The ad is going to drop tonight. It, it's actually a two-minute spot. I don't think they're always going to play the whole two minutes. My guess is mostly it's going to be condensed to one minute. But I think tonight they might, right before uh, Thursday Night Football, the the opener, they they might end up showing the whole thing. If you want to see the entire... Ad, and we will be discussing it in the two o'clock hour of the program actually coming out of the two o'clock news if you text me the word Nike nike to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty I will send you a link to that ad so you can see it we're gonna play the audio of it so you can get an idea of what's going on and I, I've, I've got some I've got some thoughts about the whole thing and we will share that with you so you can check it out. Also, um, while while you're doing that, um, more and more people, I'm finding out, are checking out the program via podcast. Uh, You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile app, and you can just subscribe to the podcast. And I, I get to see the numbers every month and it's amazing how that's just been growing. A lot of people tell me, hey, we'd like to listen to the show, but we're not necessarily around from noon until three. We hear snippets on our lunch hour or whatever. Well, you can subscribe to the podcast and Take me with you anywhere, anytime, and you subscribe, and we notify you when there's a new one that is dropped, which is pretty much every day. You do that, don't you, Grob? You're the one that. What time do the podcasts get get published? Three thirty ish or so. Okay, so and you get notified, then you can listen to it at your leisure. All right, Governor Tommy Thompson. I have known Governor Thompson personally since 1994. All right, that's when I, I met him. Personally, for, for the first time, I consider Governor Thompson to be a, a friend. I mean, I you know, we're we're on a first-name basis with each other. I ran for attorney general in 1994. The state got to know him well. I think Governor Thompson was a great governor. I, I, I do. He accomplished a lot of really, really good things. I think he was transformative in a number of ways, which isn't to say that I think the Thompson administration was – was perfect. I, for example, and I'll, I'll just give you this. Um, the, I think one of the reasons that we got into such a problem leading to Act Ten was because of the way the Thompson administration handled employee relations. I mean, here, here's what happened during the during the 80s and, and the 90s. I think Gov- Governor Thompson. He did not want to draw incredible opposition from the very, very powerful teacher, powerful state employees' unions. And so what the state would do is, that it was, in some ways, it was, it was kind of clever from a political perspective. They'd go to these state employee union bosses and they'd say, look, we, we can't give you a, a 10% raise because that's going to look bad in the newspapers because people are going to say, I'm not getting 10% or whatever the number would be. But here's what we can do. We'll increase your benefits. You know, we'll give you expert. We'll give you a four percent raise. I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. We'll give you a four percent raise. But here's what we're also going to do: we're going to boost our contributions to the pension, and we're going to give you days off, etc. All of which. Short-term, you know, people didn't realize how expensive it would be, but long-term, it was much more costly for the taxpayers, but it it didn't create this kind of controversy, and it's something that flew under the radar. Tommy Thompson did that, That and I – I mean, I remember back at the time, for some of us who were watching what was going on, we we're thinking, man, this, this is just kind of unsustainable. But it was politically brilliant because you essentially bought off the public employee unions, which are much more powerful then than they are now. You essentially bought them off, and the general public didn't really know about it because they didn't understand the impact of you know extra vacation time or whatever and how much that would cost. All those chickens came home to roost, And, you know, ultimately led to all the battles about Act 10. But the groundwork for that was laid, I think, during the Thompson administration that continued during the Doyle administration. But in any event, I I think, you know, on balance, I I think Governor Thompson did a tremendous job. One of the things that happens, though, sometimes is when people step back from politics and they start thinking about their their legacy. One of the, the things, particularly if you are conservative, one of the things that you if you want to be adored by the people on the left, you you start walking back things you did when you were in power, because that's how you demonstrate that you've you've grown. If you're a conservative and as you get older, you start to denounce conservative policies and embrace liberal thinking, you've grown. You have matured. Um you 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 know, now of course if it goes the other way, well, it's a whole different story. So Governor Thompson, he's out with a new book. I haven't read it, sitting on my desk as a matter of fact. Um so he's got this new memoir, and here's apparently, you know, what he says when he, he goes to um Marquette University. And he's talking at the law school, and he says, Well, he does have some regrets, and I understand everybody can't be in office that long and public life that long without having some regrets. But here's what he says. He says among his regrets is getting caught up Decades ago, in the hysteria of locking people up, he wishes he hadn't built so many prisons. We lock up too many people for too long. It's about time we change the dynamic. I apologize for that. And, of course, I'm sure you have all these liberals that are applauding. See, we told you we shouldn't be locking people up. You know, Then he goes on to say he'd like to see Wisconsin begin to convert prisons into vocational schools so inmates can get the training they need to get on with their lives and also help solve the state's worker shortage. Hey, all you guys that are in there for shooting people and robbing people and uh, sexual assault and whatever, here we're turning it into a vocational school so you can come out and get jobs. So, I mean, the you know, the, the, the piece goes on. Then they ask him about, well, that's Governor Walker's philosophy is more like, let, let's get the criminals off the street. He says, well, I wouldn't say he's wrong. It's just that I have matured over the years. Again, which is what aging conservatives trying to protect their legacy say. I've matured. I wouldn't say he's wrong. It's just that I have matured over the years, and I've seen the prison systems inside and out. I've studied it. The way we warehouse prisoners right now is not the right way. Some people have to be in prison. There's no question about it. But we have too many people locked up that should be rehabilitated, retrained, and allowed to get out and take a job. We need the workers. Now, then they go on to say, well, what if you've you got a chance to walk away from business, what would you do? And again, keeping with this trend, the governor says, if I could walk away from business and be governor for six weeks and change the prisons, I would do that. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you follow me on Twitter, which is at Jeff Wagner 620 you, you know my original thought on this, and that was if Governor Thompson were running for governor today or in office, there's no way he would say this. This is the type of thing, again, that you you say when you're nearing the end of your career and you want, I don't know, you want to protect your legacy. Bottom line is it's not building prison hysteria. In my opinion, it is protecting the general public. The reality is, you've got to work to get yourself sent to prison nowadays. We're not sending first time offenders, shoplifters, et cetera, to prison. The people that go to prison, especially the ones that go for any length of time, are either repeat criminals who have been given chance after chance after chance after chance and have continued to screw up, or they are people that have committed crimes of violence, gun crimes, whatever. And they're in prison to protect us. I think what Governor Thompson is talking about is completely irresponsible. Again, I understand we want to protect our legacy, but the truth of the matter is the the idea that here, you know, we don't need to build prisons and and we should be releasing all these people, I think is dead wrong. 414 799 1620 and disappointed. I mean, he gets to view it. I'm not. I mean, I guess this is a sincere belief as opposed to something to again maybe demonstrate, you know, how he's quote unquote matured. But he wouldn't be saying this if he were running for governor. And to imply that Scott Walker has taken the wrong track by protecting the general public, I think is just irresponsible. And I'm disappointed. Four one four seven nine nine-one six twenty. All right. Do we need to be closing down prisons? Do we need to be turning more people loose? Is that what you want? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Eric just said, it's 121. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Game one is just around the corner for the Packers, and they'll have a new-look roster in tow. Where are they lacking, and where might they be the deepest? Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio dive deeper into the roster. Tune in seven fifteen tonight on Packers Playbook. Look, I, I, I've known Tommy Thompson for years. I like him. I respect him. But uh, yesterday, he's, you know, he's he's out there plugging his memoir, and I, I think he's concerned about his legacy. And one of the things that conservatives do, uh, they decide they're going to mature, which means they, they take a hard tack to the left. And the governor is doing that on prisons. He's saying, well, you know, I I, I just, you know, we, we, we used to lock people up, and I've, I've come to regret that. We should we, we don't need more prisons. We should take the prisons we have and turn them into vocational facilities and, and all that. And as I have always said, look, I, I'm – I leave it to smarter people than me to figure out the, the whole root cause stuff and what we can do to keep people from becoming criminals in the first place. But the truth of the matter is, if you take a handgun and you stick it in some woman's face and you steal the car, yes, you should go to prison. No, you don't need – if you get vocational training when you're there, ah, it's okay. I'm I'm fine with that. But we need to protect people in society and this idea that, gee, the prisons are, are full of – all these people who are just desperately in need of rehabilitation, if we just turn them loose and give them another chance, they won't stick a gun in somebody's face. How many times do we need to see the examples of somebody who's committed a crime is back out on the street and they're committing the same darn crime again? I'm all about protecting people. And Tommy Thompson would not be saying this foolishness if he was running for governor. But because he's not... Well, now he can mature. And it pains me to say that because I like the governor. I like Tommy Thompson, but he's just dead wrong. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike.
3: I had the pleasure of uh, riding with uh, Tommy Thompson back in the 80s. Uh, I had a flight from Chicago to Milwaukee for about 20 minutes. Very articulate, very nice guy, very smart. But I think his brain has ripened. I think that we need more prisons. I don't know where he's coming from now. Maybe he's like doing too much uh well no no, I know, well, well
0: no 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 but no this this is he he said he's matured you know yeah. when he was the governor and he was responsible for number one getting elected and number two um trying to protect the people of the state well then he wanted to build prisons let's lock up the dangerous people but now that that's now that the 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 buzzword of the left is, "Well, we got to do away with mass incarceration. If you want to be loved by the people on the left, well, that's what you say. We've got too many prisons. Well, my question would be, okay, Governor, who do you want to release? Let Let's go person by person and tell me who you want to release, and then we'll have that conversation. do you in your neighborhood. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, see that. And again, that's the that's the frustration that that I have with this. It is this myth, and it is a myth. That the prisons are filled with nonviolent offenders who are, are just serving prison sentences that aren't that are just just way too long. The truth of the matter is, in Wisconsin, you got to work to go to prison. You you, you do. The judges don't want to send people to prison. My God, you had the thing where. Even white collar criminals. What were we talking about the other day? Somebody steals $200,000 and the federal judge doesn't even, doesn't put her in prison. She steals $200,000. You have to work to get yourself into prison. And for everybody who says, well, there's too many people here. All right. Start telling me who it is that you want to release. uh, Is it the guy that stuck the gun, the the 17-year-old with the criminal record as long as your arm, that stuck the loaded handgun in the woman's face outside the Piggly Wiggly? Is that the person that you want to release in a year as opposed to three years or that you don't want to send to prison in the first place? Give me a break. Kevin in Oconomowoc. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Kevin.
1: Hey, it falls under the category of everything is relative. If Tommy were in the urban area that is Milwaukee, he'd have a different take on the subject mm-hmm. if he were sitting in Madison. Any other state representative who's getting daily harangued by calls for police chiefs and sheriffs and constituents about do something about it, lock them up, put them away, stop it. But moreover, if it directly affected Tommy Thompson, he'd have a different take
0: mm-hmm. Right, or, or he were running for re-election and understanding that he has to be responsive to constituents and that coming out and saying, hey, let's turn loose. I really regret putting dangerous people behind bars. He, that, that would kill him. He would never say that if he were exactly. running for re-election. But now it's easy to take that approach when you don't have to be accountable.
1: Well, furthermore, everybody has regrets about decisions they made in the past. But some principles are eternal. And When you do something wrong, that principle should still be you suffer consequences. Unfortunately, we are changing the standard for mm-hmm. which the consequences should be lived out. We're, we're, we're given less punishment for more severe crimes. So like you pointed out in an earlier call, $200,000 of theft and all of a sudden you get as a slap on the hand.
0: Right. It takes a lot of time to make two hundred thousand. Well, well, it does. Think, right, and, and again, and, it, and it's it's just, it's the, 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 in that case, it was the systematic fraud over years. But but again, one of, and I, I hope Governor Walker in this reelection campaign ends up making this an, an issue because I think again, this is what happens. Um, the the left the the buzzword is. You know, we we don't want to spend money on prisons. Nobody wants to spend money on prisons. Okay, that I understand. We spend a lot of money sending people to prison. We we do. I, I get it. That money would be you'd rather spend it elsewhere. But what is the alternative? If the alternative is taking people who are dangers to the community and just turning them loose over and over and over again, that's not right. You have to, at some point in time, come in and protect society. And this idea that, oh, well, you know, we don't want to spend the money to do that. Well, that, that's, that's great. Talk to me after, you know, it's somebody close to you that is victimized by one of these criminals who should be off the streets. And again, I I look at some of these comparisons. I mean, look, I wish there wasn't, I wish there weren't the homicide. I wish Milwaukee's homicide rate wasn't per capita similar to what Chicago's were. I, I wish it wasn't in a situation where if you leave your car out on the streets unlocked, it's gone in 60 seconds. I wish those were the cases, all right? But it's not. So what do we do? Just turn the other way? You talk to police officers on a regular basis and they'll tell you the biggest frustration is it's the same people over and over. It's the people that the police chief refers to as the 10 percenters, those 10 percent of the people that commit the vast majority of the crime. And you don't want those people in prison? Give me a break. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Things are getting heated at the hearings for the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. That is an understatement. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson joins John McCure to discuss why that may be happening at 4.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I'll address that question a little bit. Why is it happening? Because the Democrats are very, very sore losers, and they've decided that this is the way. We're going to have political theater. We're going to throw a hissy fit and throw a temper tantrum, and that is going to motivate our base to go out and vote in November. That's the response. All right. I want to, I want to share a story with you and then give you an update. And it's one of these things that you just kind of shake your head because it just doesn't strike me that it's the right thing. And again, I one of the things I hate, I just I, I like Tommy Thompson. We, we raked him over the coals in the last uh, segment of the program. The judge that did this is a guy that I have known and worked with for years and years and years. I like him. And as Milwaukee County Circuit Court judges go, might be the best one there. But this is a result that bothers me. Here is the deal. Um, and I would say you might remember this homicide, but homicides in Milwaukee, unfortunately, there are so many murders in Milwaukee that you, you can't keep track of them. This was the murder it was January 25th a 19-year-old man um I think you pronounce his name Hol Jopek and he was he was a drug user all right and he was murdered in connection with a drug deal the person who murdered him is a guy named allegedly, and okay, so put put allegedly because he hasn't been convicted. That's going to be the point I'm going to get to in just a minute. A guy named Michael Spears has been charged with first-degree reckless homicide in the fatal shooting of this young man, 18 years old, on January 25th inside a home in the 2200 block of North 44th Street. So what happens is the 18-year-old, um, he's he's there to buy something, some drug called lean, which is a mixture of prometazine and codeine, all right? So so the kid is a drug user, all right? So he, he's there. Spears is, again, we're going to put the word allegedly here, posing as, as a drug dealer. So he Spears shows up at the place. It is supposed to be a, a drug deal. But what happens is instead of it being a, a drug deal, apparently it ends up being a, a robbery. And according to you know the allegations, Spears shows up and um, produces a pistol, screams, "You know what time it is?" pushes the eighteen against your wall, eighteen uh, year old against the wall, and then shoots him. So it, it's a drug deal gone bad, and the eighteen year old is murdered. The Spears has been charged, and of course, this is not, of course, his first time at the rodeo. He's a felon. He's in possession of the gun. All right. This happens on January 25th. Spears is ultimately arrested five days later, January 30th, after a nearly five hour standoff with police. Uh, police got a tip as to where he was. He refused to come out. Um, ultimately, they had the SWAT teams that were there. They had the negotiators. And ultimately, he surrendered himself five hours later. All right. So you get the picture. Here you have a guy. Felon in possession of a gun, now charged with murder. So he is, he's arrested, taken into custody, and he's, you know, held on, I think the bail that was set, $100,000 bail. So he can't make it. The trial was supposed to be next Monday. Let me read you what Fox 6 News reports. A Milwaukee father said he's furious that the man accused of killing his son is out of jail. A man who was being held on $100,000 bond until some unusual circumstances led to his release. All right, the 18-year-old is dead, so put yourself in the perspective of the family. 18-year-old is dead. Michael Spears, 42, was arrested after an hours-long standoff in January. He was set to stand trial Monday, September 10th. That's been put on hold... And the victim's family is very upset. This is my son, said the father. There hasn't been a day of peace for the dad in eight months. He's been haunted by his son's death. This is how I get to say hello to him and goodbye and good night. I love you. Every time I close my eyes, all I see is him. The 18-year-old was shot and killed January 25th, days before his 19th birthday, after investigators said there was a drug deal inside this home. Spears was arrested after a standoff on Milwaukee's north side, North Side, et etc. All right, so you might be saying, what what is going on here? Days before, I continue from the Fox 6 story, days before his trial was set to begin, it was put on hold. The court ordered Spears released from custody on a signature bond, which means you don't have to put up any money. You just promise that you are going to show up. There's no reason for this, said the father. Court records show that Spears has congestive heart failure and hasn't been present at hearings because of his condition. Records indicate he is not expected to live. Now, who knows what that means? All right. Who knows what that means? You get all sorts of diagnoses from doctors who say, well, we think you've got A year to live, we think you've got a month to live. And some people who get diagnosed and told that they've got a year to live, they they live a month. Other people who get diagnosed and told that they have a month to live, live a year or two years. I mean, doctors don't know. But he's got got a heart condition, not expected to live. Uh, The dad continues, I am just furious with the justice system of Wisconsin. Apparently what happened is based on the guy's medical condition, they made the decision to let him out of jail. Conditions of his release include electronic monitoring and a 24-hour curfew with release for doctors and hospital visits. The Milwaukee County Chief Judge, that would be a woman, Maxine White, who I worked with as well, said it's a highly unusual case based on extraordinary circumstances. The father of the victim, though, said he wants justice. I want him to get what he deserves. So the bottom line is the guy's got a medical condition, and and apparently it's a serious medical condition. But because of the medical condition, what they decided to do is, number one, not put him on trial, and number two, let him out of jail so that he could go home to spend however much time he has left, presumably, with with his family. Meanwhile, the father of the man that this guy killed, the mother, the family members, they get no justice at all. No justice at all. And I guess I, I understand. On the one hand, we want to be, I guess, compassionate for the murderer. Well, Jeff, don't you understand? He he's ill. He's got this congestive heart failure. He might not have that much longer to live. Here, you know, we don't want to put him through the strain of a trial, and we don't want to have him, you know, incarcerated during this. All right, how does that? How does that make the victim's family feel? And again, here you have this situation. You've got the dad who is living with the fact that, you know, his, his 18 year old son is, is dead and is never coming back. And the guy that did it is now on house arrest, <laughs> released on a signature bond. Now the house arrest has electronic monitoring. I mean, seriously, at, at what point in time? do we start showing some consideration for the family of the victim? And look, and I, I I understand, I get completely what is going on here. You have the, the alleged murderer who has a, a serious medical condition. And so the idea is let's, let's release him from custody. Let's put him in his house and let's just hold this whole thing off until we see what happens. I understand that's what's going on here, but at the same time, how does that provide justice for the family of the victim? And at some point in time, shouldn't those victims be able to get a say in matters like this? And if, if the man is, is too sick to stand trial, well, okay, he's too sick to stand trial, but does that mean that you just essentially release him and, and send him home? And how do you look the father of the victim in the eye? So I, I get it, this is what's going on here. They're saying, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna send him off, but to me, to me, it might be extraordinary, but this is compounding a very, very bad situation and and I understand it's just like a poke in the eye for the family of the victim. And unfortunately, stuff like this, now this might be an extraordinary case, but the the results of this where the rights of the accused, the criminals, sort of kind of trump the rights of the family members of the victims or the victims, that happens way too often. And I understand why the dad is mad as you know what. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We've heard about it for days, and tonight we actually get to see and hear that Colin Kaepernick Nike ad. How will it play to a nationwide audience? Gene Miller has the full analysis tomorrow at 651 on Wisconsin's Morning News. We're actually going to be talking that about that in less than 20 minutes. If you want to see... The complete two-minute ad. You can text me the word Nike, N-I-K-E, to 414-799-1620, and I will send it to you. Um, we're going to be playing the audio and then just kind of discussing it from a couple different perspectives. But it does drop tonight during the uh, Thursday night football, the start of the NFL season. If you want to get a head start on it, text me the word Nike to 414-799-1620. couple texts on, on letting the guy with congestive heart failure out um, under house arrest. Um, you know, a couple of people I'm pointing out, I mean, I, I understand the, the argument here is, uh, let's see, uh, Jeff, it will cost too much money to keep him in jail. Think about the medical costs that would cost the taxpayers. O- okay. I, well, well, first of all, my guess is, that this guy who was posing as or was a drug dealer and murdered a would-be drug pr- prosecutor, uh, drug purchaser, my guess is there, there's not a huge amount of assets. My guess is the taxpayers are paying for his medical care one way or the other. That's number one. But number two, I don't care. I mean, at some point in time, by by that justification, I guess. It, well, it's going to cost too much to keep somebody in jail. So, does that mean that if you get the diagnosis of a terminal illness, God forbid, that you could go out and you can kill whoever you want, and that you're not going to be held accountable for it? I mean, is that is that really where we want to be, in all seriousness? And again, I I understand why this father is so particularly outraged. I mean, imagine imagine if this was your situation, your child was murdered. By somebody with a criminal record, and all of a sudden that person we've called off the trial and we're sending him home on on essentially house arrest. I mean, I understand where the victims are coming from there. Okay, there's an interesting piece um, at, at Fox News about these th- these hearings that are going on, and I have to. I understand that that Senate hearings on confirmation of Supreme Court justices have become, in some cases. Political theater on the part of the left, Republicans generally do not behave like spoiled children when it comes to confirming Supreme Court justices. Democrats ha- have taken a different tactic, and it goes back to the days of of Robert Bork here we're going to try to argue that Robert Bork doesn't deserve to be on the Supreme Court because he's just not qualified, etc, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Brett Kavanaugh is. I think as qualified an attorney slash judge to go on to to the Supreme Court as as has been appointed in a long time. Now, I understand he's not necessarily the choice. If Barack Obama were president, Uh, Brett Kavanaugh would not be the, the nominee. He is, however, a mainstream conservative judge. He has been on the D.C. Court of Appeals for the better part of the last 12 years. He has a, a resume that's just, I mean, it, it's right out of central casting. And rather than objecting and trying to argue that this guy is some kind of crazy ideologue, what's happened is the Democrats have gone you know just completely nuts as far as trying to stop him. And then you have this spectacle, the organized efforts, the, the chanting. The fact that you had a couple of Democrats today, starting with Cory Booker, who violated Senate rules by leaking all these confidential emails that they had access to. It just shows how unhinged the left has become. And this idea being, we don't like Donald Trump, so all these other rules don't apply, and we're going to appeal to our base, and we're going to get over it. Well, Liz Peek, there's a real interesting piece on Fox News. I want to share a portion of it with you. At Kavanaugh hearing, Democratic anger boils over. Democrats are really, really angry. Every now and then, it's worth recalling what they are so angry about. It boils down to this. They are powerless, unable to enact a progressive agenda disliked by a majority of the country. Since Democrats are in the minority in Congress, they cannot legislate. Since President Trump beat Hillary Clinton, they lost the ability to um, change policy through executive orders from the White House. And if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed as an associate justice of the Supreme Court, Democrats won't be able to look to that branch of government to further their ends. Hence the Democratic anger and frustration on full view during the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Democrats on the committee, several of whom may be running for president in 2020, have embarrassed themselves. And that's exactly right. They staged interruptions and complaints about the process by Democratic senators made a mockery of the calls for civility and bipartisanship that adorned the memorials for their late colleague, Arizona Republican John McCain. Apparently, treating your ideological foes with courtesy is appropriate only if the graciousness flows from right to left not the other way around, to which I say amen. The Democratic committee members say they are angry that they have not received more documents about the judge and that some of the pages were delivered less than a day before the hearings were to commence. But it's all hogwash. The material provided was more than that received from the past five nominees combined. Kavanaugh has an extensive public record of decisions that Democrats are free to review. They don't want to review them. They prefer to sulk and posture. After all, every single one of the Democrats on the committee has vowed to vote against confirming Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. So what difference would a few thousand pages make? The Democratic senators have made up their mind. The fury of the Democrats has nothing to do with missing pages or hurry timetables. It has everything to do with being sore losers. They still cannot accept that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in 2016. Doing so would demand coming to terms with why... Under President Obama, the party lost not only the presidential election, but also an unprecedented number of seats in the Senate, the House, in state legislatures, and governor's mansions across the country. It would mean admitting that President Obama was a disaster for his party. And then it goes on to to talk about, you know, the, and a lot of the rationale for going after Kavanaugh. The bottom line of all this is, Judge Kavanaugh is going to be raised to the Supreme Court. It's going to happen. But the process that's being engaged in here isn't about the whole idea of the Senate's role of advice and consent. It is nothing but guerrilla political theater, that's G-U-E-R, as in guerrilla political theater, designed to appeal to the base and the resistance movement, and this is what we're going to end up doing, and here we're going to fight this, and we don't care if we throw out any rules of decorum, this is what we're going to do because we've got to stand up to Donald Trump. And again, look, maybe it'll work in the midterms, and maybe it'll work in 2020, but the bottom line of all this is don't talk to me about civility, and don't talk to me about, gee, we need to be more like John McCain, etc., when this type of silliness and shenanigans is going on in Washington, D.C. now. And again, I I really like this part of the piece that says, apparently civility means when the right kowtows to the left, it's okay, but the left doesn't have to do anything in response. And if you want to talk about civility, that word should not come out of the mouths of any of those people who are staging these sort of made-for-TV theatrics during the Kavanaugh hearings over the last couple days. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Nike ad, and my perspective and my question is going to be, at the end of the day, will Nike be hurting itself? If you want to see the full ad, the full two-minute ad, you can text me the word Nike, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's 157. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you were born after a certain point in time, maybe... After 1980, maybe maybe even you know after like 1975 or something, it is impossible to emphasize what a huge star Burt Reynolds was. I mean, during the 1970s, Burt Reynolds was as big a star as 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 imaginable. I mean. Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, and nothing on, on Burt Reynolds. Um, we're, and of course, what's prompted this is, is Burt Reynolds passed away today at the age of 82. We're gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about the Burt Reynolds legacy and, and the background and, and the movies and the TV shows and the, 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 the lifestyle. We're gonna talk a little bit about Burt Reynolds coming up probably after the 230 news. Cause again, this is, you, you think about, yeah are you, okay they, they show smoky and the bandit that the movie they show it all the time on tv nowadays and it's kind of edited down it, it is um you. it is impossible to describe what that movie did in 1977 when it came out i mean this was it it was the movie that all of america w- was talking about um so we're going to discuss burt reynolds legacy in just a little bit what a fascinating fascinating guy and um Uh, 82 years old, passed away in in Florida, which is where he was from. We're going to discuss the Burt Reynolds legacy in just a little bit. All right. Nike, which has always been kind of cutting edge. Nike announced earlier this week that one of the various spokespeople that they have chosen for their latest campaign is Colin Kaepernick. Everybody knows who Colin Kaepernick is. They produced a two-minute TV commercial where Colin Kaepernick does the voiceover. Now, the the commercial, the video of this shows a a number of different – it shows, for example, it features a skateboarder, and it it features um, an athlete that's competing in the the Paralympics, and it features uh, Serena Williams. And I'm going to play the audio. We have the audio, right, group? We're going to play the audio of this. Now, again, it's accompanied by the pictures of the athletes trying to accomplish stuff. But the voiceover is Colin Kaepernick, who Nike has chosen to make the the face of this particular promotion. All right. If you want to see it, again, you can text me the word Nike, N-I-K-E, to 414-799-1620. But but here is the audio. Now, this is the two-minute commercial in its entirety. My guess is it's going to be cut down to one-minute most of the times that this is played. A two-minute commercial is very expensive, very long, although I think tonight for, for the Thursday night football game, they're going to show the whole two minutes. But, but here is the audio of the Nike
4: piece. If people say your dreams are crazy, if they laugh at what you think you can do, good. Stay that way because what non-believers fail to understand is that calling a dream crazy is not an insult. It's a compliment. Don't try to be the fastest runner in your school or the fastest in the world. Be the fastest ever. Don't picture yourself wearing OBJ's jersey. Picture OBJ wearing yours. Don't settle for homecoming queen or linebacker. Do both. Lose 120 pounds and become an Ironman after beating a brain tumor. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything when they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport make sure it's your team if you have only one hand don't just watch football play it at the highest level and if you're a girl from Compton don't just become a tennis player become the greatest athlete ever yeah more like so don't ask if your dreams are crazy ask if they're crazy enough
0: okay and again th- there are visuals that accompany this of, of the various athletes that he's referring to Odell Beckham Jr. Serena Williams the let me give you my analysis and we're going to open up the phone lines I think the piece, if you look at the visuals and you look at it in connection with the, the, the text, I think it's really, really good. I, I think it's, it's really, really good. I mean, it's got this message, you know, just do it. And it's talking about these athletes who've overcome various hardships and have achieved greatness and all. I, I think it is a very, very well done piece. Text and images. The problem to me with it is by choosing Colin Kaepernick as the, the spokesperson, you, you essentially, you take away all the, all the other stuff. And, and it becomes very difficult to get past the fact that this is a very in your face statement that Nike is trying to make by using Colin Kaepernick as the spokesperson. You could have choose, chosen anybody you know, any of these successful professional athletes and had them be the spokesperson. And I I think people would have said, oh, that's really kind of cool and dramatic, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that they choose Colin Kaepernick is Nike's effort to try to wade into this whole social justice issue. Now, the question is going to become, will this work from an advertising perspective? Nike's stock dropped a couple, uh, you know, dropped a few percent, although that's kind of stabilized, but that's after it's been up over the year. There is a backlash on social media and people saying, I'm never going to buy Nike stuff again. The flip side of this is that Nike is getting millions and millions of dollars of free publicity. The truth is, my guess is there are people in my position all across the country today who are playing that ad. And the, if it wasn't Colin Kaepernick, if this was a, a spot featuring, I, I don't know, fill in the blank, you know, somebody from the Cleveland Browns or, or whatever, I, I wouldn't have played that spot. But I played the spot because it's Colin Kaepernick. So Nike is getting millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in free publicity. At the same time though, Some of that publicity is bad. It's turning off some people. And for anybody who says there's no such thing as bad publicity, Gru, if you take nothing else from me, believe this. Anybody who says there's no such thing as bad publicity has never had bad publicity. So, I mean, but but they're getting all this this, this what they call earned media, you know, the, the free publicity that's out there. All right, I want to tee this up. Nike has decided that we're going to use Kaepernick as a spokesperson. I don't want to talk about the, you know, the Colin Kaepernick controversy, the kneeling and things like that. My question is a simple one. Is this campaign at the end of the day going to be successful for Nike or not? Nike is trying to sell product. There's shoes and sweatshirts and uniforms and all the other stuff and jackets. That's what Nike is all about. Is this going to be a marketing hit or are they going to face the backlash and is that backlash going to cost them business? There is no question in my mind that this controversy over the national anthem and kneeling and things like that was one of the things that contributed to the decline in NFL ratings and stuff last year and the fact that some people have just washed their hands of of the NFL. It's not the only reason, but it was a factor. All right, Nike has intentionally decided to be provocative and controversial. Is it going to be a net gain? 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will share my opinion, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 217 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me share a couple texts. They could have used Pat Hillman for the same person and given his family 1% of this year's profits to help in honor of his service. And Nike would have been heroes for everybody and just looked a lot better in the media. Just saying. Mike says, as weird as it is, Nike will win out because most of the public is nuts. I hope I'm wrong. I personally will be boycotting. Nike, all right, here's another text. I applaud Nike for their brave statement in choosing Colin and will be buying Nike now when I've not in the past. I will wear it proudly. They have won me over. Another text, it's maddeningly hypocritical for Nike to say anything about human rights when they're paying people 20 cents an hour to make their shoes. Why don't they spend money to build a factory in America to employ some of these people that are making them um, billions? Huh. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Okay, is this going to work out for Nike? Well, it's going to work out for me. It's going to save me a lot of money. I had no problem buying my son Eric Jordans or all the Nike stuff that he wanted, within reason, of course. But now with this, I will never buy another Nike product again. If he wants it, because he really likes the brand, he likes the swish, it'll have to be out of his money. So we'll see how much they profit with this. But it's saving me money.
0: Tell, me, wh- tell me why you feel that way. I mean, obviously, you feel strongly about it. Tell me why.
1: Well, because I think he's the face of the of uh of all the situation with the National Anthem and everything right. last year. And uh when I would go to the Packer games last year and I'll be there Sunday. Uh I did not spend another dime in that stadium when they were doing this. That's how much I feel strongly. Okay. I kneel and sure. I stand for the flag.
0: Got it. Okay, thanks to call 414-799-1620 800-877-1620 which is the Actinet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Let's see Carolyn West texts. We will mute mute. We will mute, sorry. We will, mute. we will mute the Nike commercial just like we do every other commercial. That's Carol. Let's see. There's another text. It's a risk. Nike is making an obscene gesture to many, but banking on certain populations um, and social justice warriors to buy big and more than make up the difference. Well, that's exactly what they're they're doing. This is kind of an in-your-face statement. Here's a text. Jeff, when the Colin Kaepernick shoes and T-shirt are available for purchase, they will be sold out everywhere. Kaepernick has support from celebrities and millions of people around the world. Well, it might be. He is extremely polarizing. And so, I mean, we were talking about this the other day. Michael Jordan didn't talk about his politics. And Michael Jordan, they said, well, you know, why aren't you on these various issues? And Michael Jordan said, well, because Republicans, you know, buy, buy shoes as well. Nike has clearly decided to jump in big time on one side of this issue. Will it work? Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon. What do you think? I don't understand, as a marketing department, how you would take on a campaign that is automatically going to alienate a certain percentage of your potential client base, which is exactly what they've done. I'm like your previous caller; I will no longer buy their product.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It is a very in-your-face type of thing. And, and see, it was one of the things, Joe. Was actually when I, when I watched the ad, I actually think it's a very, very good ad. I I, I kind of like the message. I get. Where where Nike is going with this thing and if they had chosen almost anybody other than Colin Kaepernick I think this ad would have just scored off the charts but because they've chosen Colin Kaepernick it's going to be one where 50% love it and 50% hate it and you you have alienated 50% of your potential buyers and I'm with you I don't get it
5: isn't that exactly why there hasn't been an NFL team that has picked up Kaepernick as a player they don't want to alienate alienate a percentage of their viewership, of their customers. Um, well, Um thanks. not playing in
4: the
0: NFL. Yeah, I mean, well, thanks. For, I mean, I think there's an element to that. I mean, I, I think, and I don't think it's collusion. I don't think it's a conspiracy to keep him out of the league. I mean, what I think has been going on with him is he, he's just such a divisive figure and such a, a hot potato that I think there's a lot of football general managers who are saying, all right, what, what can he bring to our team? And is it worth all the grief? We'll use that word. Is it worth all the grief that we're going to get if, if we bring him on? And I, they're, they're kind of doing that balancing thing. Now, if he was the greatest quarterback in the NFL, I have no doubt that, that he would probably, that he would have a gig. I, I have, I mean, Michael Vick came back after, you know, getting convicted for the dog fighting thing and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think that NFL teams have shown that they're certainly willing to look the other way. But in the case of, of Kaepernick, I just, don't know that he's good enough to put up with the various, you know, again, for a team to say, all right, we bring him in and immediately we're going to have this reaction from a portion of our, our fan base. Nike is making the calculation, I guess, number one, they're getting a ton of free publicity. That Let's let's just be honest. They're getting millions of dollars of free publicity out of this, and that's always one of the goals. That's number one. And, and number two, I, I think maybe they're banking on the audience that the, the vast majority of of the people that purchase their products are going to be sympathetic to the, the cause. I mean, and maybe maybe they're saying we don't care if the, you know, 55-year-old guy in flyover country who stands for the the national anthem, we don't care if he doesn't buy our product. What we want is we want the 16-year-old to, to come in and buy the product who's all in favor of this type of stuff. I, that's clearly what they're banking on. I guess – time will tell I think it's a great campaign by the way I, I just I wish they hadn't messed up the ad that they're running with you know using a guy like Colin Kaepernick because if they had used anybody else it would have been I, I think incredibly effective. Nike seems to think that they know what they're doing maybe they'll succeed at the same time for people who don't think marketers make big mistakes um, two words new Coke 226 Jeff Wagner WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the Minister of Defense, the great Willie Davis. They're among 18 choices you can pick from for the best defensive end in Packers history. Check out their resumes and vote for their slot in our Green Bay 100 all-time team. Text 100 to 414-799-1620 for a link to vote. Tough to go with somebody other than Reggie White. Tough to go for that. But, I mean, I understand I'm not taking nothing away from Willie Davis. All right. The, the breaking news is that Burt Reynolds passed away today at the age of 82. Now, Gruul, Burt Reynolds, you know who Burt Reynolds is. You do. Okay. Well, it is, it is impossible. And I said this earlier to describe how, how big a movie star Burt Reynolds was in the 1970s. It, it's just, it, it is impossible. I mean, seriously, think, think, Think Johnny Depp, you know, at, at, at his height. Pick whatever, think, you know, whatever star is out there now. Um, and, and actually, I think maybe, you know, you, you have very successful stars, but this was back in, you know, in the 70s and stuff. The fact that it's a Burt Reynolds movie, that in and of itself would, would draw people there. I'm I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure, even by today's celebrity standards, that you can find a, a comparable. Burt Reynolds started in, in TV um, guy came out of the south and then went on to make a series of movies. That the one that I think really catapulted him to stardom was Deliverance, which I think many people are familiar with. Uh, Deliverance um, was up for the Oscar. It came out I want to say in 1970, and maybe a couple years after that. Um, but Deliverance it lost to The Godfather. I mean, and and, and Burt Reynolds th- th- it made him just a a mega mega star. Burt Reynolds uh, was a centerfold in Playgirl magazine. I mean, that was um, where he he posed uh, essentially naked, but with some strategic, you know, some strategic uh, things blocked off. Um, he dated Dinah Shore. They were, she was 20 years old. Dinah Shore was a very famous singer. If you never heard that name, he, he dated her for a number of years, even though she was 20 years older than him. And that, that was a great romance. Um, maybe his biggest movie, Smokey and the Bandit. And I mean, I remember I was in college when Smokey and the Bandit came out and that was That, that did like $126 million in 1977, which is the equivalent of $500 million today. The only movie that year that did bigger business than Smokey and the Bandit was, wait for it, was was Star Wars. And, and that just started this whole genre of, of movies. He did cannonball run movies and, and things like that. It was just, he, he did the longest yard, you know, the, the original version of that during the seventies, just impossible. To underscore how big a star this guy was, and, and ultimately he ended up burning out, and you know that 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 happens. But he was just so huge at the box office, you know. Clint Eastwood, nothing on, on Burt Reynolds. Uh, Steve McQueen, nothing on on Burt Reynolds. Sort of made a comeback of sorts. He was in uh, the Boogie Nights. He played the um sort of porno film producer and Boogie Nights in nineteen ninety seven. He did the the TV show Evening Shade for a while. And he, he's had a a lower profile since then. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, musical, not necessarily his best choice, but I thought that was kind of an entertaining movie. Um just an incredible, an incredible star with just a huge impact on society. I mean this this was back it back in the seventies before you had the explosion of cable TV, where you had Okay, you know, the celebrity stuff came from the Johnny Carson Tonight Show and things like that. He guest-hosted the Tonight Show a lot of times. Burt Reynolds, just a, a huge, huge star. And some of these movies really are are timeless. I mean, I think Smokey and the Bandit, the original one, sort of silly. I, I get it, sort of silly. But, you know, I think it holds up over time. And then, then of course, he had the romances. He was... Um, he was involved with Sally Field for a while. He ended up marrying Lonnie Anderson, who was the gal from WKRP in Cincinnati. That did not end well, but you know, nevertheless. And he did a lot of other more subtle movies that I liked as well, The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing and things like that. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk for a minute about Burt Reynolds. Did you get the appeal? Do you remember the appeal? Is it possible to describe what... What a big star he was back in in the day. And he was one of these guys that essentially made it look easy. Now, I, I don't know if he was acting or I don't know if he was just playing versions of himself. I mean, I think about some of the uh, Gator. He made Gator, that movie. I remember that. 414, White Lightning, 414 Claude in St. Francis. Claude, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think?
3: Oh, I just uh, remember one movie that he was so good and uh it was called heat right he was he had that card it all he was a specialist with credit cards and uh helped um um a guy that was not very confident in his mm-hmm. physical abilities and he, <laughs> <laughs> he he just took care of him and uh i just love the way he, uh he but, was not that. Song.
0: Well, he, he was just, I mean, thanks. To, I mean, he was just, thanks to, I mean, he was one of these classic, all right, you, you know, you, you had in the 30s and 40s and 50s, you had the, the Clark Gables and, and you had the, the Cary Grants and those, the classic leading men and sort of stuff like that. And Burt Reynolds was that for a, a different generation. I mean, again, I, you think he, he wasn't as serious an actor necessarily as you think of with like Steve McQueen or whatever, but it, it's just it's impossible. It's just impossible to describe how many different films that, that he made and how successful those films were. Yeah, Deliverance was 72. Um, 4147991620. And he made some bad ones too. But even in the bad ones, I mean, I, the, even the bad ones were okay. WW w. and the Dixie Dance Kings. I, I, that's one of my guilty pleasures as a movie. It's not a great movie, but Burt Reynolds somehow, he kind of saves it. Let's talk to Kathy in Brown Deer. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kathy. Thanks
5: for taking my call. Sure. Um, I think he's wonderful. I don't know if you remember, he was married to Judy Karn from, from Laugh-In Right, the Socket
0: To Me girl from one of the yeah. Socket To Me girls from Laugh-In, right? That did not end well either, that marriage. No, yeah,
5: No, but he was wonderful. Every time he was on Johnny Carson, I, I think Johnny really liked him because he talked a long time. And he was great. I just think he was a wonderful actor, and I'm so sad he's gone.
0: Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, and again, and it, it's just I, one of the reasons I wanted to devote a segment or two to this is because he he was such a big movie star. And, and again, it, it's it, it's he he burned so brightly. And you know, yeah, I mean, I understand. Maybe if you were, you know, if you're 25 years old and you're listening to the segment, you're going, "Just Bert Reynolds." I I kind of remember some of those things from Late Night, but. You just I mean, I'm looking at, at his filmography, and it's just The Man Who Loved Cat Dad, White, White Lightning, The Longest Yard, W.W. and the Dixie Dance Kings, Hustle, um, a, a lot of semi-tough with Chris Christofferson. Smokey in the Bandit, Hooper, The End, and, and again, Cannonball Run. Those Cannonball Run movies, they were awful, but they just made a ton of, of money. People couldn't get enough of Burt Reynolds. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Mike, you got to turn down your radio. Mike? Okay, let's try Richard in Neshota. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hello. Uh, I have a, a story about Burt Reynolds. I, uh, I'm originally from Toledo, Ohio, and um, w- we lived there in the 70s when he was in a play there called The Rain Man. Which is a famous play, right? And uh, uh, they opened in Toledo. So Bert was there. Uh, Lois Nettleton, Nettleton was the co-star, right? But the poor thing, she was just totally overshadowed by him because this was at the height of his fame, right after the Playgirl feature. Right. And uh, he, he, uh, you know, every restaurant he went, everywhere he went. I mean, he just turned that town upside down. Uh, it was just solid coverage of Burt Reynolds for about two weeks. And he was the nicest man to everybody, everybody who met him. You know, the waitresses he tipped. The the, the guy couldn't have been more gracious and nice, not like you see the stars today. And uh, it was just, uh, we went to see the play then, too, and he was very good in the play as well. Um but uh that was basically uh, just yeah. to, to show the the impact he had uh, in a, in a positive way uh, right. as a megastar.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, it was just it. It also, I mean, it does show kind of how how fleeting fame is because again, he. You know, I mean, obviously the, the star phase, you cannot be that white hot for that long, but he was able to reinvent himself. I mean, I, I always liked the show Evening Shade. I mean, I thought, and, and again and again and again, what you found is that Burt Reynolds, in most of his roles, I think he was kind of playing himself, just kind of that, that good old boy. Um, I don't know what his, I mean, obviously, I think his best movie role was, was Deliverance, which is just an incredible performance. And that's an incredible movie. Um, the one he's going to be remembered most for, though, I, I, it's got to still be Smokey and the Bandit, which I think is just um, just an, an incredible, an incredible. It's just an entertaining movie. It's a fun. It is a fun movie, and if you want to go looking for fun, that's the place to go to. Uh, Joyce and Shawno, Joyce, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Well, hello. Uh, I have several things. First of all, um, I'm 76, and in the back in the day, I had his centerfold on my refrigerator door to stop me from eating. So <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. So you had
0: you had the Playgirl photo of Burt Reynolds. You had that up on your refrigerator, huh?
5: Right. So I wouldn't eat, and um, and I was always pretty thin too. But I must have thought he was pretty darn good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I did try out once for his show he was on a tv show where you would draw things and i can't remember what the name of it was okay and it was i tried out in florida um he had it where you would try out like right. in jupiter florida for the tv right show.
0: which is where he was that's where he had his playhouse and stuff like that sure jupiter right
5: right right i always thought that he was i mean he wasn't known for a lot he did play football i think somewhere in college or high school i don't know and but he must have had a lot of charisma to do what he did in his
0: life. Well, thanks for No, that—that's exactly. I think you hit it. It's kind of charisma. Here's the other thing that—that's little known about Burt Reynolds. It's the roles he turned down. They offered him the Harrison Ford spot. They offered him Han Solo and Star Wars. He said no. They offered him the um the the role in Die Hard that Bruce Willis ended up taking he he turned that down a uh, terms of endearment uh the one that Jack Nicholson took and ended up I think winning an oscar yeah, won an oscar for it in terms of endearment they offered that to Burt Reynolds he he turned he turned that down he turned down uh the Nicholson role in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Turn that one down. He turned down the role of Richard Gere played in Pretty Woman. I mean, it's just that's most actors go their entire life and never get those shows. He turned, think of all the things that the guy turned down. But I I do, I think the later years were kind of a struggle. But Burt Reynolds, I think it was a life well lived. And um, sail on. 247, Jeff Wagner. 250, Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. All right. See, time plays tricks on you. Number of listeners appropriately calling me on this. It was not a Playgirl centerfold. It was Cosmopolitan. People calling you tell yep, um, 1972. Nude Cosmopolitan Centerfold of Burt Reynolds. Um, and that it was, it was the Cosmos Centerfold, the Cosmopolitan, you know, the ones that, I, do they still have those tests? You know, the, the one like, you know, is your, is your, is your man a decent lover and that type of stuff? They probably been running variations of the same test for forty or fifty years, but it was Cosmopolitan in nineteen seventy-two, and it spawned. After that, they thought, "Hey, maybe there's a market for this type of stuff." So they went to uh, that. It led to Playgirl, but I was—it was Cosmo, right? It was how could how could I have forgotten? That Burt Reynolds was in Cosmopolitan, but uh, but again, it, it was very groundbreaking at, at the time that they did that. Um, just no question about it. In any event, you know Burt Reynolds, about as as big a star as you can possibly imagine. You know, back back in the day, for that. Um, the Bears, they're going to have All Pro linebacker Khalil Mack on the field when they visit Titletown on Sunday night. Should he be? Should he be in the green and gold instead? Greg Matzik thinks so, and he'll debate with Jeff Falconio. Tune in tonight. Packers playbook six oh seven. There is no Milwaukee Brewers baseball game. They are off today after again winning another series with the Chicago Cubs. They're back at it tomorrow evening against San Francisco. The, the yesterday there was a. a sort of a news conference downtown and a meeting as they they talked about the future of the Bradley center, that they are about ready to start tearing down the Bradley center. My understanding is they're going to start with the inside and then ultimately, you know, level the whole thing that is going to create a, a huge vacancy in that part of, of town. And the question becomes, what, what do you put there now the easy answer would say, okay, well, we want, we want more entertainment. But the truth is you've got to the, you know, you've got to the north, you've got where the entertainment complex is going to be. And, and you wonder how, how much can you put down there? This is going to be a big decision. And I don't think the bucks exactly know what they want to do with it. I think this is an important one. And it's one that you need to, you need to get right because as I have said all along, whether or not the new Bucks Arena Pfizer Forum is a success or not isn't going to be judged exclusively on on how nice that building is, and it's a very nice building. But it's going to be judged on whether or not that entire area gets gets the shot in the arm that I think a lot of us hope that it ends up getting. If it's just the situation, i said this before, where you you, you cannibalize what was going on. You you take business that, for example, entertainment business that was on 3rd Street, and now you've moved it down to the new entertainment area. Okay, well then you're not really ahead. If, on the other hand, this development can help spawn more people living in that area or more commercial development, etc., then maybe that's how you judge it. You say it was a success. I, I don't I mean, I I don't think trying to replicate what you're doing on the other side of the building, I don't necessarily think that is the answer. Corporate offices and stuff, I don't know that that's it. Green space, I mean, there's some people who want to turn it into a giant dog park, for the love of goodness, give me a break on that one. There's all sorts of things that you need to do, but you need to figure out what can you put in there and what can you do to get it right because it's important if that whole area is going to be a success, that's a big chunk of it. You've got to figure out what you're going to do. Nobody, I think, has a good idea of that yet. Time will tell. It is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.